Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And today we've got a topic that uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert on. I know I'm not exactly selling the show when I say that, but honesty is the best policy. But I'm sure we'll still find plenty to discuss. We're going to be talking about the royal family, in particular, Diana and Meghan, both of whom uh, I believe married into the royal family and both of whom I think are said to have been broken, uh, been, have broken grounds in sort of showing a sort of vulnerable side to the to what it's like to being a princess, that maybe it's not as glamorous as people thought or just that they sort of break barriers, that the royal family is not some stoic, shut off um, statue group, but rather they are human beings with, you know, everyday struggles. I have at times sort of uh, disparaged the royal family or the idea of monarchy, the like, what's the point of it, I've asked. I've gotten responses from British people saying things like, we respect your president, so you should respect our queen. And my response to that is, why do you respect our president? I don't respect our president. I don't, I don't want you to respect our president. I respect the office of the president. And I could tell you all about why the office of the president deserves respect and the monarchy, much less uh, obviously so at least. And there's a lot to understand. So the best uh, sort of defense of the of preserving the monarchy, I think, that I've heard is just that it it's a, like an anchor. It's like an anchor at a time when the tides can turn, when, when the mood of the people can shift, especially in Europe, which is sort of a scary neighborhood considering some of the trends they've had in the last hundred years. Uh, there's sort of the case to be made, like let's just have something that kind of symbolizes an anchor, sort of not breaking with the past and burning everything down. But you can only really preserve what you like about the past with philosophy. You, could, you need to identify what you like about the past and preserve it explicitly. So um, it's not really going to work in the case of England, as, as we've seen and are going to see. But let's talk about Diana and Meghan. Um, and listen, I, I'm not an expert on this, and I can't do it alone. So let's bring on a guy who... I've always said, if you want to know all about the British royal family, ask a Greek. Please welcome Nikos Sotirakopoulos. Thank you, Raka. So every time we say what we're going to say today is not the objectivist line, it's just us giving our opinions. Obviously, this applies today, today even more, because it's a topic that I haven't 100% put my finger on it. I, I think something is happening, and it's more to the level of we think out loud. So. First of all, why do we want to talk about Meghan and Diana? Because it's very interesting to notice moments in history where what we call sense of life or what we call the public psyche or what we call the identity of a country, the, the philosophy, but in, in a more lower level, at the level of maybe psychoepistemology of a country, if there is such a collective notion, is changing. And I think. This, there was a major change in the United Kingdom and Diana, Princess, the late Princess Diana played the role. And it's based on this role, on this new character of Britain that today we see uh, Meghan Markle in a way appearing as a figure of interest, maybe even as a figure of moral authority. And the only way we can understand this is if we go 20 something years ago to the death of Diana. So the death of Diana, 31st August 97, uh, 
it was probably one of the first major public events that I remembered where I was when I heard it. It was big, very, very big news and a huge tragedy, of course. Now, why are we interested in Diana? Because the moment she came to prevalence beyond when she entered the royal family was more towards the later stages of her life when she had her divorce and first year separation and then her divorce from, from the prince, from Prince Charles. And also when she revealed her struggles and when she became what Tony Blair called her, the people's princess. So not an aristocrat who we view out there, but basically one of us. And here's the most interesting thing for me. Many people again are asking, how did this country change so much? And they ask it related to COVID. Isn't this the country that used to, this stoic attitude of keep calm and carry on? And it was at the moment of Diana's death that many moral and intellectual authorities said, it's time we left this aside. And it's time we left this aside because Diana taught us a lesson. She taught us a lesson while she lived. And this was the lesson of, you know what? You don't have to keep everything in. You, you can't tell the world, for example, that you have mental health problems. You can't tell the world that you have very personal things that, for example, she revealed in an interview in 95 that she had bulimia. And that was considered a big moment. And also when she died, Tony Blair mentioned that actually she taught us a new way to be British. And the idea was, look, we had this very selfish Britain under Thatcher, where everyone was only caring about themselves and this achievement and making money and being greedy. And now we move to a different country. Now we move to a country where we share. We move to a country where we reveal our inner weaknesses. And the most interesting development there was that suddenly the achievement was not to do something that you should be, let's say, celebrated and admired for in terms of creating something or overcoming something. It was more the bravery or the perceived bravery of opening up, opening this up, of revealing your emotional, inner emotional states. And my biggest mentor and someone who has been on the show, Frank Furedi, called this the therapy culture. And he says, be, be a bit careful here because it might look a good thing when people open up and they don't keep everything inside. But this has two problems. The one problem is that we tend to see life through the prism of mental health, through the prism of therapy that public life becomes basically this big therapy cause. Like, okay, tell us, Raka, your struggles. Razi, tell us your struggles. And, we... and the second thing he said is, this undermines the power of overcoming a celeb and celebrates the power, of, the power of basically being in a situation which is close to the situation of a victim. Careful, not celebrating that you are not anymore a victim, but celebrating that you are in the state and the position of the victim. And this is the cultural trend that supposedly, and according to many commentators, Diana and the celebration of her while she was living, and even more when she died with this 
outpouring of emotions. And of course, it was a hugely tragic situation. Specific thing about her family, think about her voice. And of course, that she lost her life so early. But this is the significance of her life and of her death. So let's pause here and then we're going to see what is the link between this and, and Megan. So from, let's say, your sense of life and from what you, from your philosophy, do you think there's something there or do you think that, no, maybe this emotionalism is a good thing because it's, it's what makes us human? I mean, there's potential for both. So, uh, you know, the more people would talk about things like eating disorders and addiction and depression and suicidal tendencies, there's a lot of good that can come from that. There's a great potential to reach people, to let them know like this, this happens and there's a solution most importantly, and that the, the solution should be uh, sort of first-handed, like positively driven, like you as an individual want to uh, identify this, ask for help if you need help and get have a goal have a goal which is a happy prosperous benevolent life and of course there's the potential of it turning into this sort of endless navel gazing i need to tell you my truth and i need to throw everybody else under the bus because that's my truth and you know and that, that of course uh sort of celebrates victimhood and is not positively driven so that is not and and maybe when it comes to like eating disorder so were you saying diana was bulimic was that? Yes, and Siri, mm -hmm. not only she was, she revealed it live, uh, live. She revealed it on, a, on one of the most discussed interviews in history on a TV interview. And this was, so put the context here, we're still in the 90s and Diana is still technically part of the royal family. And many people say, this is the thing that, and also she, oh, no, one more thing, she openly discussed her husband's extramarital affair. Now, people who know, the situation, they've always claimed that Charles, his love was not Diane, his love was the third person who now is his, let's say, official uh, partner. But in the eyes of the world, she was the third woman and he was cheating and this was an extramarital affair. So it was two novelty, so to speak. The one is you open up about your personal struggle, but also your relationship struggle. And you do this in an audience of millions. Yeah, so the question of whether Diana should have discussed uh, her husband's infidelity is a good question. On one hand, like it's part of her story. On the other hand, why do that? Why air that dirty laundry? And another answer to that is, well, they're public figures, they're royals, they're basically their whole life is is to be public. I mean, but in general, um, her sharing that she was bulimic, I think, can be it can have a lot of positive um influence on people that are struggling with the same thing and i think the solution there ought to be again positively driven so the solution should not be to blame society and say well everyone had these unreasonable beauty expectations of me there needs to be a healthy attitude in the culture that like yes for my product if i want to photoshop the model that i hire to make her unrealistically skinny i have that right you as a consumer might choose not to purchase that or you i think better yet should tell your daughter and tell your partner that obviously this is a cartoon we're looking at this skinny stick figure all i want from myself and the people i love is to be as healthy as you can and like uh work on yourself and always aim for as both uh physically and and uh spiritually beautiful as you can be so you might I, I, 
you might criticize the actions of let's say uh, a, a company an advertising firm but like the main focus should be like i the individual have responsibility for my own life and i should be looking to address problems and reach for greatness in my own life so again there's potential a lot of good can come from uh like from discussing things like bulimia and it's important kind of what we do with that information it can very easily turn into uh sort of a culture of victimhood and like endless endless uh oversharing of personal stuff and and finger pointing um but i mean generally speaking i don't see a problem with having public figures open up about what they're going through i would think uh that type of thing makes society healthier it makes these types of things i mean look there was a time when like just discussing menstruation was very taboo right there was a time when probably the word pregnant was like a dirty word you, like i mean the farther back you go just like anything a lot of things that that are just not like directly in your face were not to be discussed so i see no uh i, I i'm generally a fan of discussing um such you know such things as bulimia etc uh, so in that respect, I, I'd say Diana uh, was a positive figure. She did show that, you know, we're all human. Right. So here's another interesting experience. No, here's an, an, an interesting moment was in 2012, Andy Murray, who is the one of the best tennis players and a prominent figure in, in the UK. So he lost once more in Wimbledon from Federer. I think at that point, Murray hadn't win a single big tournament. And he burst into tears. And again, he never reached up to that point such a status of people loving him till he did that. And it's very interesting to notice the pattern between in football players crying or sportsmen crying. Back in the day, if someone would cry, it was news. So for those of you who follow football, Paul Gascoigne cried in the semi-final in the 1990 World Cup. It was an iconic figure. It was the moment that someone cried. Now you see football players crying all the time. So, and again, I, I can see it from both sides. I can see the side that says, look, let your feelings flow. But also, is there a virtue in this? And I use the term very liberally, stoicism. So the one time, the only one time that was caught in trouble while I was doing TV was when I said that I really appreciate that Gareth Southgate was the manager of of uh, the England team in the World Cup of 2018, did not cry when they, lose, when they lost the World Cup semi-final. So most of the players who was crying, he did not cry. And to be honest, I was a bit influenced by one of Jordan Peterson's quotes who said, be the guy who does not cry in your father's funeral. Now, of course, this is something super personal, but there's a reason why he says this. He says, because by doing this, you become a pillar where people can they can how to put it they can rely on you you are that rock so i said look imagine if the manager who is this figure of authority starts crying that you know he needs to he needs to help everyone else he, he needs to pick them up and then maybe it's time for him to to cry and i got i got a lot of heat for that anyway so how do we go from there to mega by the way who is the biggest cultural figure who who, who one of the big cultural figures who made this culture of come out and tell us more opera obviously and it's one of the the things he's known for so it was quite fitting that opera all was 
related to this latest interview by Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, that created a huge uproar in the royal family. So again, what do we see here? We see a couple that the thing that mostly draws attention is their claim of a struggle. And Megan said, of course, she talked about mental health issues. She thought about very dark thoughts that she had. She made a very serious allegation that there, there, there's a possibility that there were some racist comments related to the, to the child. And again, the question is, is this something to be celebrated that, yes, she's opening up? Or is it that today, this is what really gives you moral authority. And by the way, it's not either or. Maybe it's good that she opens up, but also do we see that moral authority today, probably you have more, more moral authority as a liberal, quote, what people would say, woke figure like Megan, by sharing that stuff rather than being the royal family. So as an institution today, being someone who is on the side that is sharing and is talking about her struggles, and is also talking about how she's a victim of various structural injustices, it gives you more moral currents in society than being the most established institution in a country. And of course, for me, there's not much to celebrate in the institution of, of a royal family. I'm just wondering, what does this tell us about the moral aspiration of one? Should your, because again, the danger here is to not see this as I struggle to overcome, but you see it as I struggle, therefore I am. To I mean, paraphrase is, that thing. Yeah, this is a tough one because on one hand, I mean, uh, let me kind of be kind of the, um, you know, let me be the uh, token leftist here and say like, a lot of, I mean, a lot of what people complain about may be very valid. So like a, a black woman in England among aristocrats who feels like people are, are treating her like uh, she's from another planet and she uh, feels these kind of subtle, quote, microaggressions. It's very easy to say, no, this is all postmodern, this and that. It's just all victim mentality that she was raised to believe and all these things and educated to see when none of it is there. It's easy to say that, but on the other hand, what if this is kind of like a version of speaking openly about your bulimia, kind of like this has been the case and I'm going to talk about it. But again, where's the spirit of benevolence? Where's the um, where's the positively driven approach that I'm looking for? I don't really see that when I see uh, Meghan Markle uh, kind of alluding like that, like members, like higher ups of the royal family have been basically racist. It's just. Uh, I don't like it. Now, someone like Oprah, it's like she, she she there was a documentary on HBO called Leaving Neverland, which I think was largely recklessly um, overstating allegations against Michael Jackson um, by his alleged victims. And then afterwards, HBO tacked on a interview by Oprah of the of at least one of the victims, as I recall. So Oprah, I think at a certain point, it kind of becomes her job to kind of find victims. And, you know, is there a quote in the Fountainhead, kind of like someone telling the social worker or telling Tuhi or someone like, you, you live off of suffering. And, and the answer is, well, I'll never be out of work, something like that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I, there is something to be celebrated about kind of the impact that people like Oprah had, where she's like, you know, let's tell people stories and we'll, we'll be able to relate to people across the world and, and get to see that, uh, 
you know, people are people are people in a certain respect. Oprah had an influence of showing that people in middle America are human beings that, you know, these so-called hillbillies, these scary white people in the middle of America, that it's easy to call racist. She's she was interviewing them and showing the struggles they go through in their own families, et cetera. So in a certain respect, Oprah humanizes various people in a way that brings us all closer together. On the other hand, you can see at times when it's abused, where Oprah finds victims kind of maybe where they aren't even there. Um, so by and large, I don't think um, giving the interview that Megan gave was uh, a positively driven. I, I can understand somebody disagreeing and saying, no, this is her, her truth, so, so to speak. This is her experience. And uh, this is an opportunity for her to share what she shared. It's just, I, I just want to see a positive uh, drive by people. If the, what is the end goal? I always ask whenever issues of racism or, or sexism or homophobia, transphobia come up. My question is, what's the end goal? Is the end goal your, your life flourishing as an individual? If that's your goal, I think you look for understanding with people much more than just uh, finger pointing. But the, the trajectory that we seem to be on now in much of the culture is to just constantly condemn people who don't even know they're being offensive and to say, well, this is your deep-seated white supremacy or deep-seated cis supremacy, et cetera, uh, that you don't even know anything about. And all you can do is apologize and ask for instructions. And even then you'll still be... Um, accused of not doing enough. So what, what, what we're seeing is um, basically, I think people cashing in on the sort of benevolence of people and the, the, uh, the degree to which people actually do want to confront racism, et cetera. And they're, they're cashing in on that and they're, they're uh, turning it into this sort of cannibalistic feast. And again, it's one of the topics where we are singing out loud here. We ha I personally haven't got but I do feel that there is something which we should be a bit concerned with this a therapeutic outlook to life where our struggles are reinterpreted as health slash mental health issues. Of course, this is not to say that these issues are not there, but more and more I see people describing their experience through the language of mental health or of therapy. So for example, Quite often in university, you, you hear terms such as exam anxiety, which is something very new. Back in the day was, I feel a bit stressed about the exam or uh, we have an exam. So the problem is that when you reinterpret these experiences under the prism of mental health, this can actually make your ability to cope and your agency more diminished. And one last thing, many people are gonna say, same on you by saying that there is something in not oversharing this is what leads so many men to take their lives because they feel that they cannot share and they end up in suicide. I would say this is a very simplistic explanation. The, the what lies behind and this idea is that, oh, it's toxic masculinity and men cannot open up and that's why they commit suicide. That's for another discussion. But uh, this, the, the fact that, oh, the big problem is that men don't open up. Where everywhere nowadays, men are invited to open up. So I don't think that there is this tendency that every man today has a stiff upper lip and this, there's this kind of masculine culture everywhere and this is why so many men take their lives. Anyway, we've opened many issues that we cannot uh, cover. Again, 
today, one of these issues that we are experimenting and we try to figure out where we stand and what is the proper and rational way to approach this. Have we got any announcements from the higher echelons of ARC UK? That's Has a good question. Well, uh, no, he he's, hasn't... Too, he's, he's too busy criticizing uh, Princess Diana in the chat room, as I see. He says she married Prince Charles for the same reason that Keating married Dominique. Imagine, imagine speaking this way about a dead princess. I've, ne I've sunk pretty low in my life, but never as low. Okay, now Razi says we are jumping over to Clubhouse, so that's something to announce. And uh, we're about to do that as soon as we wrap up here. So please join us on Clubhouse. Also, uh, thank you, uh, Mary Aline, for the super chat. She says Diana was selfless in her marriage to Charles. They didn't care for each other, which was part of her problem. We absolutely welcome criticism of Princess Diana in the form of super chat. Thank you, Mary Aline. And please, everyone, consider uh, becoming an ARC UK member. Help this thing grow. Also, get exclusive study groups and content. We're we're, we're doing this, guys. It's happening. Can I say one, one last thing? One last thing. Diana, I think, died very close to Mother Teresa. For me, I have huge sympathy and sadness because there is something in what Marilyn said. Diana actually tried to be selfless for big parts of her life. And I don't think she did this to marry up or whatever. I think she actually believed that thing. And at the same time, she was not happy. She did so many things for the unfortunate of this world. And at the same thing, you see that. So it's what we said before, that it's, it's important to help out of benevolence. But that cannot be your sole horizon in life. And if you are selfless in this way, there's something that's there's a very strong prediction that this is going to lead to unhappiness. So you see, sometimes philosophy shows up in in real life. Anyway, and what culture, the trans yeah, yeah, and culture short sort of shows up everywhere. So like the what took place with the royal family in the '90s, you know, I think they they got divorced, right? Like Diana and Charles divorced, divorce, divorce among the royals. So yeah, like everyone's parents were divorced in those days, getting divorced, and and why should the royals be any exception? But my question is. Why are William and uh, and his brother still, they still get to be princes now? No, 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 no. It's not how it works. Shouldn't the Pope call them bastards now? Shouldn't they be excommunicated, right? They, they're divorced. You don't get to still be royal. I have no idea what this means, but we'll continue in Clubhouse. Okay? Another day. Let's continue this. Uh, join us on Clubhouse next. And uh, we'll also be back here tomorrow, same time for the Daily Objective. Thank you, Nikos Satirakopoulos. And thank you, everyone who tuned in. See you in a bit. Bye bye.